Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. Wow, nice back row back there. I like that. Uh, some of you guys, uh, just want to go on record, some of you guys moved and it throws me off when you do that, okay? I'm just saying, all right? I know where you sit, and then when you don't sit there and you go someplace else, I get a little nervous, get anxious, because I feel like there's somebody, you know, there's something that I don't know, maybe, or something that kind of makes me want to turn around, check everything, make them, okay. So, but I'm glad you're here. Welcome. So we are in Genesis the beginning of everything. We're in the 11th chapter today. We had announced uh, we were going to do the first 11 chapters. It's actually called the prehistory. It's so ancient. It's so old that 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 it's all oral tradition. Uh, and so there are some things about it that we we know that we understand and that we continue to learn and grow in as we move forward. Um, but I do want to give a spoiler alert because uh, next week I'm going to do a bonus chapter uh, because we're going to talk about. Abraham, because Abraham then moves everything forward in, in the Old Testament and prepares us, moves us toward, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Advent season and all that's coming up in front of us. So we're going to do that next week. But this morning, we're going to look at the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. It's a story about the Tower of Babel. Now, some of you have heard of that. Some of you probably haven't. Uh, it's not as uh, famous as Noah. Noah is one of those stories that Noah and the Ark that even if you've never gone to church, you probably heard something about Noah's Ark and, and have some kind of information about it. But we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at the tower uh, this morning. And one of the things that we've noticed as we've gone through these 11 chapters in Genesis is that there's a, there's a pattern that emerges uh, as we look at it that, that we've seen so far that God creates and it is good. And then somehow mankind rebels, mankind sins, and that image that God created us is broken, then we, God allows mankind to suffer the consequences, to experience the consequences of that. Uh, man repents, God restores, and the cycle continues. And so if you look at it, you, you, kinda, you might think a, a little bit, as why, why don't we get it? Um, why, why is that so, uh, why does that pattern continue? But then if you think about your own life, you, you have to realize that we still don't get it. We still repeat that pattern that God created and, and what he created is good and then we have a way of, of, of distorting that, we have a way of breaking that, uh, that we've lost the image that God's created uh, in us, that we live with the consequences, God intercedes on our behalf, uh, God restores and then we continue to repeat the pattern and that's what we're seeing. And, and you know, it's really interesting for me, it's kind of comforting because uh, if you were writing mythology, you would never write it like this, would you? You would have heroes that are bigger than life. You would have uh, people who never do anything wrong. Every story would end happily ever after. Uh, if you were writing mythology, you just would never do it. But the Bible is so transparent and the Bible is so honest uh, that I appreciate that because it's way more like my life. Uh, my stories rarely turn out happily ever after. Uh, I rarely have a day that I don't get disappointed in myself for something I've said or done, and we live that life. And so we need to be, we need these stories to remind us uh, of who we are, but then also to say that the scripture is reliable, and one of the reasons that we know is that it's so 
honest. Uh, it's so transparent that we see real life, we see real people everywhere uh, in, in the scripture. So God, as Noah and his family got off of the ark, in, in chapter nine, verse one, it, it said God sent them out and said, be fruitful and multiply. And so God sent out Noah and his family uh, into the world to repopulate, to be fruitful and multiply. We get another picture of that in the seventh verse where he says, God says, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So God's instructions are really clear. He sends them out of the ark and he sends them out onto the earth, back out into the world to be fruitful and multiply, to repopulate the earth, that that's their job, that's their role. Uh, and you know, so then we get to his sons. He has three sons, which I fully appreciate that biblical model of three sons. I think that works, right? For, okay, if you don't know me, I have three sons. It's just, I thought that was cool. Um, but God sends out the Noah and his sons and their families. And if you read uh, chapter 10 in Noah and you read about his sons and being sent out and, and you start reading all of the places that they went, it's kind of like you decide an, on a new Bible reading plan and you're gonna start in Matthew and read through the Old Testament and you get to the genealogies and, and you start reading who begat who and your eyes start to glaze over and you kind of, you know, you just sort of think, how do I skip this part or how do I move forward? And you can, you can feel like that a little bit in, in Genesis 10. So I did a little homework just to help you uh, with uh, Moses, or it's Moses, perfect Larry, um, with the sons of Noah and their families. So the youngest son is, is uh, Japheth. Uh, he's Noah's uh, youngest son and his descendants, and they are largely responsible for the founding of much of uh, what is now Eastern Europe. Some of the settlements included the Ukraine in chapter 10, it's called Gomer, uh, Turkey, which is called uh, Magog, Tubal, and Meshep. Greece, which in chapter 10 is Javan. Southern Russia, which in chapter 10 is Ashkenaz. Cyprus, which is Elisha. And the Greek Isles, which are called Kittim. And then we have Ham, Noah's middle child, and his uh, descendants um, are the ancestors of many people in North Africa and the Middle East, all along the southern eastern coast of the Mediterranean uh, Sea. The nations settled by Ham include the Sudan, which is called Cush in chapter 10, Egypt, which is Mizraim, Libya, which is Put, uh, Yemen, which is Sheba, and Lebanon, Sidon, and Palestine, which is called Canaan. And so you see that, that we've been able to, uh, you know, through archaeology, we've been able to figure out where those places were that uh, Noah and his sons and all of their descendants went. And finally, Shem, the oldest, Noah's firstborn, and his descendants grew into a dominant nations in the Middle East. They settled regions like modern Iran, which is called Elam, Iraq, uh, Assyria, and Saudi Arabia, which is called Joktan, and most significantly, uh, Eber, his son, settled in the ancient Mesopotamia uh, area, and through his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fathered the nation of Israel. In fact, the designation uh, Hebrew is probably a derivative of the name Eber. And so you see, they went out as God commanded them to repopulate the world. Uh, they left. And then we get to this all-important place in Genesis 11. The, the sons of Ham uh, go out into the world and they stop. And that's where we pick up the story. 
In chapter 11, verse one, it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. So the picture we have, the whole earth had the same language and the same vocabulary. They spoke the same. Everyone understood them. Uh, they had that in common. They were family. They came off the ark together. The descendants came. Uh, and they, as they continued, they spoke the same language, even had the same vo- vocabulary, the same slang. They understood each other. Chapter, verse two says, and the people migrated east from, uh, from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there and they said to one another let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and uh, they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar and then they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower uh, with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So we have this picture of these descendants of Ham. They go out, they find this great plain, this uh, place of Shinar. It's uh, between the Euphrates and the Tigris. Uh, It goes all the way from Baghdad uh, to the Persian Gulf, and they decide to settle there. And if you listen to the language, it's really fascinating because listen to what they're saying. Let's, Let's go here and let's build a city and let's do something, let's make a name for ourselves and if you, if you look at it closely, you see how many times they say we and us, and how many times do you see God mentioned there? Zero. That all of a sudden, they've decided that they have a better idea. All of a sudden, they've decided that they're wiser than God. They're gonna stop there. They're gonna make a name for themselves. They're gonna do something really important, uh, and we get the, in history, this area is Babylonia. Now, what's so wrong with the tower? Um, First, there should have never been a Babel. God told them to go. He told them to fill the earth. There never should have been a gathering together in uh, in the first place. The people did what seemed convenient instead of what was commanded. It seemed much wiser to congregate together in one large metropolis than to be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. They ignored God's clear instructions and had favor in their own wisdom. And that should sound familiar because we still do that today. We still make decisions all the time that we're gonna do what seems right to us, uh, that nations and people and individuals are gonna do what seems wise in their eyes, and they were afraid. They thought, if we keep going out, we don't know what's out there. If we build a city here, if we build a fortress here, we'll be safe, Uh, we'll be safe together, we'll be safe in our confines, we'll be safe in our city, and we can do something really special. Babel originally meant gate of God. Babel is considered closer to God. They considered Babel closer to God than any other place on earth. They considered a cultural, educational center of the world. And God says, not so fast. That's not what I intended. That's not what we're to do. So we come in the story. If, you, if you're back in chapter 10, you see that one of the sons of Ham Uh, One of the descendants of Ham, actually, is a man named Nimrod, and Nimrod was the first uh, mentioned in the Old Testament of a mighty man. He was a mighty warrior, and he was uh, a mighty hunter. He made a name for himself. He was also the first empire builder. I have a map here that shows you, they go from Mount Ariat down, and it shows you the cities that Nimrod planted. Uh, We have Nineveh, Kalah, Babylon, Haran up there. We go all the way down to Tema. Uh, There's Mount Sinai there, Moses will make famous. But those are the places that he built. Those are the cities that he built. And there's one in particular uh, that he built that's called Babylon. And that's where we get this story. That's where the tower uh, comes from. In, uh, uh, In 2011, there was a study 
that took, that a linguist did, uh, that studied languages, and it said he was analyzing the sounds in language spoken around the world and detected an ancient signal that points to Southern Africa as the place where modern human language originated. The finding fits well with the evidence from fossil skulls and DNA and modern humans, that modern humans originated in Africa. It implies, though it does not prove, that modern language originated only once, and that's an issue of considerable discussion among linguists. But here's what he said. By understanding sounds, by tracking it down, by understanding that archaeology uh, and fossils, they could, tra- they could track language down to one area and said that, the, that modern language was started in one place and went out from there. And we can look that, that there is a foundation, there's a basis for one language, one vocabulary that was in one place, and all of that is gonna change. So we get, as we look at this, as they, as they migrated, as they built the city, uh, they, one of the important verses in here is verse four, where they say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Uh, at some point, they decided that uh, their goals had shifted from glorifying God and enjoying him to promoting themselves. It became about them, and if you'll look at the text, you'll see again how often they talked about themselves, but they don't mention God anymore. He's not part of the equation, that it's all about what we want to do and what we're going to do. And the the tower uh, of Babel that they built, they said, let's build a tower. We're going to build it all the way to the heavens. We're going to make a name for ourselves, build a great city, build a great tower. I have a picture of a ziggurat here, which is what the Tower of Babel would have been. And if you're an old rock and roller, you'll know there's a stairway to heaven there. Uh, and you would take the stairs, and those could be temples. There are all kinds of uh, uses, but, but they would build these things. And the people in, in Babel decided, let's build a great temple. Let's build this ziggurat. We'll build it all the way to heavens. People will come from all over the world. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to be known for this. We're the center of everything. We're the center uh, of the world. And they built this monument. They built this ziggurat. And they thought they could provide for themselves. They thought with enough fame and fortune uh, that there would be heaven on earth. And, and that's one of our great challenges, isn't it? That's part of our culture, is that somehow we've bought into the myth that if we're successful enough, if we're prominent enough, uh, it, you know, that we can create heaven on earth. We don't have to wait for heaven out in the future. Uh, if you grew up in the church, what you were always taught is that heaven is a place that you go someday to be with Christ. And somehow in our culture, we decided that we can create this here. If I'm just attractive enough, if I'm just successful enough, if I can just be healthy enough, all of those things that we can create heaven on earth, and that's not what God ever intended for us. Now, there are three pictures of things that we have. We have this tower that says, let's make a name for ourselves, and let's build this tower uh, up to heaven that we can elevate ourselves up to a level with God. There's another picture that we have here, and this is altars, and we build altars that we sacrifice on, and an altar is something that I'm willing to give everything for, that I'm willing to give myself for, and we sacrifice, we create all kinds of things that become more important to us than God, and we sacrifice ourselves on the altar. Pastors are as bad as anybody else. Pastors will will sacrifice families, they'll sacrifice health, they'll sacrifice all kinds of things for reputation, for position, for prominence, all of those things, just like everybody else, and we're and we build these sacrifices, we build these altars. You can see all of these different things. It's anything that we put in front of God becomes our altar. 
anything that we sacrifice on that, that we'll sacrifice everything for becomes our altar. And that's why in Romans 12:1, the Apostle Paul said, I beg you, I urge you in the strongest way to present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable to him, which is your spiritual service of worship. That, that he says what God wants isn't these things. God wants all of you. He wants all of you on the altar. He wants all of you given to him, that that's the way our life is supposed to work. That's the way that God intended. That's what the real altar is. It says when we place ourselves there, we give ourselves completely to God. And then the third picture that we get are pictures of idols, pictures of things that we worship, pictures of things that we elevate over God. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a great book called Counterfeit Gods, and here's a quote from it. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. That when we begin to seek those things for ourselves, when we begin to try to take those things in our own hands, when we decide to make our own decisions, when we decide that I'm gonna trust my wisdom over God's wisdom, they become idols in our lives. God is saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into, uh, and when they turn into the ultimate things, they destroy us. The most famous moral code in history is the Ten Commandments, and the very first one is, it says that I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. That God says, I am the God you worship, I am the God that's to be first in your life, and nothing, not an altar, not an idol, not anything should take my place in your life. So what do you mean by other gods? Anything that takes God's place in our lives. And, and that's why the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the New Testament, like some of us, they love to do their religious deeds to be noticed by people. They love to self-promote. Uh, and self-promotion is in the air that we breathe, right? I mean, we just came out of this election cycle. If we didn't see self-promotion, then you were asleep during the whole thing, right? Uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable, but we've, we've kind of made that, taken that to an art form. How do we promote ourselves? How do we make ourselves look good? How do we make ourselves look better uh, th than we really are? And we need to constantly ask ourselves, am I purchasing this item? Uh, am, am I seeking promotion? Am I performing this service so that I might feel better about myself or I might attract attention to myself uh, or, to, or do I, is this just to live more comfortably for myself or am I doing this for the glory of God? Am I doing it so that God's lifted up or am I doing it so I feel better about myself? Am I doing it so that I'll feel more prominent or I'll get recognized by other people? I'll get applauded by someone or am I doing it for God's glory? Am I doing it because it's about him, because he gets lifted up? And now we come to verse five, which is pivotal verse in this passage and I love this verse because there's, some, there's actually some Bible humor. Do you like Bible humor? There's actually some Bible humor in this verse, and you gotta pay attention or you'll miss it, but it's there. Um, so here, here's what it says. They, they said, let's make a name for ourselves. In verse five it says, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. So picture this scene. These people in Babel, they're, they're, they build this, this temple, they build this ziggurat, uh, this tower, and they say, let's build something great. Let's make a name for ourselves. We're gonna build this all the way to the heavens. We're gonna be, we're gonna be up there with God. We're gonna be equal to God. We're gonna we're gonna create this safety and security for ourselves. We've got this thing going for ourselves. And God looks down 
And he says, wow, what are those guys? There's something going on down there. It's so small. I, it's, it, I, I need, probably need to go down and take a closer look. It's really, I, I think they think this is really cool and big, but I'll probably have to go down because it's so small, I'm having a hard time finding it. Here, here, isn't this our story? That, that we think that we're creating something so magnificent and big and we're so important and we're so powerful and the God who created the entire universe looks at it and he says, not so much. You're not that great. I, I hung the moon and the stars. I put the sun in the exact spot so that you wouldn't freeze to death and you wouldn't burn up. I put all of that, I created all of that for you and you build this. And you think you're great. You think you're something. You're trying to build yourself up to me and I'm gonna have to go down just to see it. I'm gonna have to get closer. It's so insignificant. And I love the language here because he says, let's go down and I'm gonna go down and see what the children of man have built. And you could translate this children of man as the little ones <laughs> who think they're so awesome, think they're so great. I'm gonna... I'm gonna go down and see what the little ones have been doing because they've, they've got their Legos out. It's so sweet. <laughs> we'll check it out. We'll go look at it. And the scene, <laughs> the children of man, the little ones, they think they're so important. Look what I've done. Look at us. We build bridges. We build dams, the pyramids, and God, the creator of the universe, looks down on our pride and our bragging, and it just seems embarrassing to me. It seems like we ought to just be a little bit embarrassed about what we try to do. They're building a city apart from God and his purposes. They, they're, they're, they're unified. They talk about we and us, but it's a unity uh, that, that comes to establish a culture without God. They're afraid of what they don't know. They're afraid of what's out there, so they decide to take their future in their own hands. They trust themselves instead of God and his promises. God has established a relationship with his people. Genesis 1 through 11 is about God's relationship with his people and there is no end to their pride, there's no end to their evil. God says, I'm gonna stop them from doing this. Uh, he isn't gonna send a flood, but he does intervene because they are doing something that will cause them to unravel. They are gonna, doing something that is gonna bring evil into the world. Look at verse six, it says, and the Lord said, behold, we are one people, behold, they are one people because they are one people with one language. Uh, it doesn't mean this isn't, it's, it doesn't mean it's not good but I wanna ask you this question. Can you think of a time in history when one people who spoke one language decided that their culture, uh, their people were so prominent that nobody else deserved to live? No, that people that were different than them needed to be exterminated, need to be done away with. God is saying that, that what happens when we decide when we decide that it's our culture, when we decide that it's our language, when we decide that, that we are gonna make a name for ourselves, that, that ultimately that, that we can justify anything. We can justify that somebody different doesn't de deserve to live. We can decide that somebody different doesn't deserve to be around us, and we can justify uh, war, we can justify killing, we can justify slavery, we can justify all kinds of things, and God sees where mankind is going, he sees what is hap what's happening, and he says, I'm going to intervene. And so the Lord uh, said, come, let us go down, verse seven, and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. And therefore, the name 
uh, was called Babel. Babel is a Hebrew form of Babylon, and in the Hebrew, this word means to mix up uh, or to put in disorder, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. You know, God's not insecure about his position. Uh, He's never threatened by us. He's never threatened by mankind. He spoke the universe into existence. He breathed life into mankind, but he's watched mankind, and he knew that this was only the beginning uh, to building a kingdom that will eventually want more and will do anything to get it. And once we arrive at kingdom building, we can justify almost anything for the sake of that kingdom. So, do you know what the turning point of this passage is? The the turning point of this passage, we're gonna go back to verse five, um, because it's so pivotal for us, not just for Bible humor, but for this reason, that we always come back to this spot, that God said, I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna go down to my people. We, we talk about this sometimes, that the difference between Christianity and religion is that religion is mankind reaching up for God, but Christianity is God reaching down to man. And God said, I am going to come down. He came down in the Garden of Eden. He comes down here. God cares about us, he cares about relationship, and what this leads us to is a time, thousands of years later, that God is going to pour all of himself into a human form, and he's going to come down again in the person of Jesus Christ, and he's gonna say, I am gonna solve this once and for all. I'm gonna fix this once and for all. I'm coming to pay the price for your rebellion. I'm coming to pay the price for your selfishness and your sin, and Jesus comes, and we get the great miracle of the gospel. And then if you wanna make a name for yourself, if you really wanna make a name for yourself, I I have one for you. Because whoever knows Christ, whoever has a relationship with Christ, in John, the first chapter, says whoever believes in him, he gave the right to be called a child of God. Do you know what your name is this morning? You're a child of the creator of the universe. You're a child of the God of the universe. There is no name, there is no place that can elevate you over that. You belong to him. If you wanna make a name for yourself, you trust in the idea that God has already provided that, he has already done that through Christ, and now you belong to him, and you're a child of the king. You belong to him. And all of that pain and that panic and and the busyness and everything that we go through, the stress, the anxiousness that we go through trying to make a name for ourselves is unnecessary because God, through Jesus, has already done that. You're his child this morning. You belong to him. You have a name. You've made a name. Jesus has made that name for you. And you belong to him. It doesn't get any better. You you know, later, one of the great miracles on the day of Pentecost is that God restored the languages of the the nations. The only thing that really will restore the world, the the only thing that that creates a common focus that is whole, the only common language is the gospel. That God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross that through him we might have life. In, in, in the first chapter of Acts, in the eighth verse, Jesus says, but 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaritan, Samaria and to the, to the ends of the earth. You know what Jesus said to him? I'm gonna send you out again. You're not staying in one place. I'm gonna send you out again, but this time you go in my power. You go as my witnesses. You're eyewitnesses of what I've done, what I've done in you and through you, what I'm doing in the world, and now I'm gonna send you out into the world. We're gonna go again and populate the world, but now you're going in my name and you're going in my power and you're going in my strength In Acts 2, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, at the sound of the disciples and the 120, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were astonished, saying, Are are not these all Galileans? But how is it that we hear them speaking in our native language? And it goes to list people that were there for a feast from all over the world. And they're hearing the gospel proclaimed. They're hearing Jesus proclaimed, but all of them are hearing it in their own language, that all of a sudden, through the Holy Spirit, through God's power, they're all hearing in one language that that language has been restored, but it's the, it's the language of the gospel. It's the language of heaven. It's what God does when he pulls people together in his name, not through our own efforts, not through our self-promotion, not through our egos, but when God does something, he restores, he reclaims. And that's what he did on the day of Pentecost. And then Jesus has the audacity in Matthew 28 to say this. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, we just take a deep breath right there. He says, all authority, not some authority, partial authority, not today. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a great finish. That the God who came down, the the, the God who poured himself into a human body and came down said, I'll never leave you. That I'm going to be with you to the end of the age and I'm, I'm not really great at math, but I think the end of the age is a long time. I don't think that ever stops. But here's what he said. He said, go. Go, therefore, because I have the authority, I am telling you to go, and wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, do you notice he didn't, he didn't hand out maps, he didn't give us a list of places that we're supposed to visit. He said, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, you don't always know where you're going. But wherever we are sent, wherever we go, he said, make disciples. Make disciples in my name. You go as a child of God. You go in the name of Jesus and you make disciples that you repopulate the world with followers of Jesus, with people who belong to him. We share the story. We share the gospel. We're being sent out again, not for our own self-promotion, not for our own ego, not so that we become somebody famous, but so that Jesus is lifted up. That's what he's called us to do. It's still the same story, but we go because of him. We go because of what Jesus has done. We've laid ourselves on the altar and said, Lord, use me. I belong to you. I'm a child of the king, and Lord, take my life and, and use it for your kingdom. The only thing that will ever reverse the curse, the only thing that will ever 
bring people together under God is the gospel. The gospel is the hope. And there are two things that we need to understand when it comes to living this life. Trust and obedience. You see, the big question in our lives is do I really trust God? Or have I sort of given up trusting God because I don't like not knowing where I'm going. I don't like not knowing what's next. I don't like not knowing what's in front of me. So somehow I want to try to control my life and control my environment and have everything fixed and tidy and neat and comfortable and safe for me. I don't want to have to risk. I don't want to have to do that. And we don't trust God. The question that we ask ourselves every day, every situation, do I really trust you, Lord? Do I trust you when I don't even know where I'm going? Do I trust you when I'm unsure about my circumstances? And then, if I trust you, am I willing to obey you? Will I obey you, Lord, regardless of what? Do I belong to you? So here's the thing this morning. You're a child of the king. And the king has said, wherever you go, will you trust me? Wherever you find yourself, will you trust me? And how you know you trust is when you're willing to obey. Am I willing to live that life? Am I willing to risk? Am I I willing to set my comfort aside and my safety aside for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ? Do you trust God? Then obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you, Lord, not only do you restore us, but you call us and you send us, and Lord, we recognize this morning that we don't deserve that, that we haven't done anything to earn that, that this is your grace, this is your love for us, and we are children of the King, and we thank you for that this morning, and our heart's desire is that we would live the adventure with gusto, that we would live the adventure with joy, that we would trust you and obey you and live the life that you've called us to. And so, Lord, we we receive that this morning. First, Lord, please plant in our hearts who we belong to, what our name is, that we're a child of the King, we're your children. And then, Lord, teach us, give us the courage to trust, and Lord, teach us to obey. And we will give you the glory and all of the honor in Jesus' name. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Those are perfect lyrics for us this morning. I'll put my trust in you alone. My hope is built your foundation. Um, so I've got this idea for us. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, like read 12 chapters in the Old Testament or something this week or memorize 10 verses or pray for an extra hour about this. I'm going to ask you to download this, put it on your playlist, uh, and play this song. Uh, so that you can remind yourself as you're driving in your car, you can remind yourself as you're getting ready in the morning uh, where our foundation is, who our foundation is, uh, who we belong to, where our hope is, uh, because we need to be constantly reminded of that. So think about that. 
um, you can thank me later, but download this onto your playlist and, uh, and let it just flow through your heart and your mind. Um, we have prayer partners over there that love to pray with you and for you this morning if you have a need, and also our prayer table. You write your prayer request down, and uh, we feel like it's an honor uh, to pray for you through, uh, and with you throughout the week. So take advantage of those. My prayer is simply that we'll be constantly reminded of who our foundation is, uh, of who Christ is in our lives, and that we will be constantly reminded that we're children of the King. I love you. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.